Welcome to Fast Asleep. Whether you're here to embark on a wonderful night's sleep or just listen to an exceptional story, we're really glad you're with us. For this episode, part two of Algernon Blackwood's tale, I confess to speculating whether he was paid by the word for this one. Oh well, the ending makes up for it, I guess. See what you think. You'll have a good night's sleep with this one. So tuck in and enjoy with intent to steal. At last when he finished the recital of an adventure, which brought him near enough to a horrible death, I admitted that in my uneventful life, I had never yet been face to face with a real fear. Well, it slipped out inadvertently and of course without intention. But the tendency in him at the time, oh, it was too strong to be resisted. He saw the loophole and made for it full tilt. It is the same with all the emotions, he said. The experiences of others never give a complete account until a man has deliberately turned and faced for himself the fiends that chase him down the years. He has no knowledge of what they really are or what they can do. Imaginative authors may write, moralists may preach, and scholars may criticize, but they are dealing all the time in a coinage of which they know not the actual value. Their listener gets a sensation, but not the true one. Until you have faced these emotions, he went on with the same race of words that had come from him the whole evening and made them your own, your slaves, you have no idea of the power that is in them. Hunger that shows lights beckoning beyond the grave, thirst that fills with mingled ice and fire, passion, love, loneliness, revenge, and he paused for a minute, and though I knew we were on the brink, I was powerless to hold him. And fear, he went on, fear. I think that death from fear or madness from fear must sum up in a second of time, the total of all the most awful sensations it is possible for a man to know. Well, then you have yourself felt something of this fear, I interrupted, for you said just now, I do not mean physical fear, he replied, for that is more or less a question of nerves and will, and it is imagination that makes men cowards. I mean an absolute fear a physical fear, one might call it, that reaches the soul and withers every power one possesses. Oh, he said a lot more, too, for he, too, was wholly unable to stem the torrent once it broke loose, but I have forgotten it, or rather, mercifully, I did not hear it, for I, I stopped my ears and only heard the occasional words when I took my fingers out to find out if he'd come to an end. In due course, he did come to an end, and there we left it. 
for I then knew positively what he already knew. Somewhere here in the night and within the walls of this very barn we were sitting. This was waiting. Something was waiting of dreadful malignancy and of great power. Something that might, we might both have to face before the morning. And something that he had already tried to face once and failed in the attempt. The night wore slowly on and it gradually became more and more clear to me that I could not dare to rely, as at first, upon my companion and that our positions were undergoing a slow process of reversal. I thank heaven this was not borne in upon me too suddenly and that I had at least the time to readjust myself somewhat to the new conditions. Preparation was possible, even if it was not much. And I sought by every means in my power to gather up all the shreds of my courage so that they might, together, make a decent rope that would stand the strain when it came. The strain would come, that was certain, and I was thoroughly well aware for my life I cannot put into words the reasons for my knowledge that the massing of the material against us was proceeding somewhere in the darkness with determination and a horrible skill besides Shorthouse meanwhile talked without ceasing the great quantity of hay opposite, or straw, I believe it actually was, seemed to deaden the sound of his voice. But the silence, too, had become so oppressive that I actually welcomed his torrent and even the dread, and even dreaded the moment when it would stop. I heard, too, the gentle ticking of my watch Every second uttered its voice and dropped away into a gulf, as if starting on a journey whence there was no return. Now, once a dog barked somewhere in the distance, probably on the lower farm, and an owl hooted close outside, and I could hear the swishing of its wings as it passed overhead. Above me, in the darkness, I could just make out the outline of the barn, sinister and black, the rows of rafters stretching across from wall to wall like wicked arms that pressed upon the hay. Shorthouse, oh, deep in some involved yarn of the South Seas that was meant to be full of cheer and sunshine and yet only succeeded in making a ghastly mixture of unnatural coloring, seemed to care little whether I listened or not. He made no appeal to me. And I made one or two quite irrelevant remarks which passed him by and proved that he was merely uttering sounds. Mm -hmm. He too was afraid of the silence. 
I fell to wondering how long a man could talk without stopping. Me too. And then it seemed to me that these words of his went falling into the same gulf where the seconds dropped. Oh me. They were heavier and they fell faster. I began to chase them. Presently, one of them fell much faster than the rest, and I pursued it and found myself almost immediately in a land of clouds and shadows. They rose up and enveloped me, pressing on the eyelids. It must have been just here that I actually fell asleep somewhere between 12 and 1 o'clock because as I chased this word at tremendous speed through space, I knew that I had left the other words far, very far behind me till at last I could no longer hear them at all. The voice of the storyteller was beyond the reach of hearing and I was falling with ever-increasing rapidity through an immense void. The sound of whispering roused me. Two persons were talking under their breath close beside me. The words in the main escaped me, but I caught every now and then bitten off phrases and half sentences to which, however, I could attach no intelligible meaning. The words were quite close, well, at my very side, in fact, and one of the voices sounded so familiar that curiosity overcame dread, and I turned to look. I was not mistaken. It was Shorthouse whispering, but the other person who must have been just a little beyond him was lost in the darkness and invisible to me. It seemed then that Shorthouse at once turned up his face and looked at me, and by some means or other that caused me no surprise at all at the time, I easily made out the features in the darkness. They wore an expression I had never seen there before. He seemed distressed, exhausted, worn out, as though he were about to give in after a long mental struggle, he looked at me almost beseechingly and the whispering of the other person died away. They're at me, he said. I found it quite impossible to answer. The words stuck in my throat. His voice was thin, plaintive, almost like a child's. I shall have to go. I'm not as strong as I thought. And they'll call it suicide. But of course, it's really murder. There was real anguish in his voice, and it terrified me. A deep silence followed those extraordinary words, and I somehow understood that the other person was just going to carry on the conversation. I even fancied I saw lips shaping themselves just over my friend's shoulder. 
when I felt a sharp blow in the ribs and a voice, well, this time a deep voice, sounded in my ear. I opened my eyes and the wretched dream vanished. Yet it left behind it an impression of a strong and quite unusual reality. Do try not to go to sleep again, he said sternly. You seem exhausted. Do you feel so? There was a note in his voice I did not welcome. Less than alarm, but certainly more than solicitude. I do feel terribly sleepy all of a sudden, I admitted, ashamed. Well, so you may, he added very earnestly, but I rely on you to keep awake, if only to watch. You've been asleep for half an hour at least, and you were so still, I thought I'd wake you. Why? I asked, for my curiosity and nervousness were altogether too strong to be resisted. Do you think we are in danger? I think they are about here now. I feel my vitality going rapidly. That's always the first sign. Now you'll last longer than I remember. Watch carefully. The conversation dropped. I was afraid to say all I wanted to say. It would have been too unmistakably a confession. And intuitively, I realized the danger of admitting the existence of certain emotions until positively forced to. But presently, Shorthouse began again. His voice sounded odd, as if it had lost power. It was more like a woman's or a boy's voice than a man's. And it recalled the voice in my dream. I suppose you've got a knife? He asked. Yes, I've got a big clasp knife, but why? He made no answer. Well, you don't think a practical joke likely? No one suspects we're here, I went on. Nothing was more significant of our real feelings this night than the way we toyed with words and never dared more than to skirt the things in our mind. Well, it's just as well to be prepared, he answered evasively. Better be quite sure. See what pocket it's in so as to be ready. I obeyed mechanically and told him. But even this scrap of talk proved to me that he was getting further from me all the time in his mind. He was following a line that was strange to me and as he distanced me, I felt that the sympathy between us grew more and more strained. He knew more. It was not that I minded so much, but that he was willing to communicate less. And in proportion, as I lost his support, I dreaded his increasing silence. Not of words, for he talked more volubly than ever, and with a fiercer purpose, but his silence in giving no hint of what he must have known to be really going on the whole time. The night was perfectly still. Shorthouse continued steadily talking, and I jogged him now and again with remarks or questions in, in order to keep awake. He paid no attention, however, to either. 
About two in the morning, a short shower fell and the drops rattled sharply on the roof like shot. I was glad when it stopped for it completely drowned all other sounds and made it impossible to hear anything else that might be going on. And something was going on too, all the time. Though for the life of me, I could not say what. The outer world had grown quite dim. The house party, the shooters, the billiard room, and the ordinary daily incidents of my visit. All my energies were concentrated on the present and the constant strain of watching, waiting, listening was excessively telling. Shorthouse still talked of his adventures in some eastern country now and less connectedly. These adventures, real or imagined, had quite a savor of the Arabian Nights and did not by any means make it easier for me to keep my hold on reality. The lightest weight will affect the balance under such circumstances, and in this case, the weight of his talk was on the wrong scale. His words were very rapid, and I found it overwhelmingly difficult not to follow them into that great gulf of darkness where they all rushed and vanished. But that, I knew, meant sleep again, Yet it was strange. Strange I should feel sleepy when at the time all my nerves were fairly tingling. Every time I heard what seemed like a step outside or a movement in the hay opposite, the blood stood still for a moment in my veins. Doubtless the unremitting strain told upon me more than I realized, and this was doubly great now that I knew Shorthouse was a source of weakness instead of strength, as I had counted. Certainly a curious sense of languor grew upon me more and more, and I was sure that the man beside me was engaged in the same struggle. The feverishness of his talk proved this, if nothing else. It was dreadfully hard to keep awake. This time, instead of dropping into the gulf, I saw something coming up out of it. It reached our world by a door in the side of the barn, furthest from me, and it came in cautiously and silently and moved into the mass of hay opposite and there for a moment I lost it. But presently I caught it again, higher up. It was clinging like a bat to the side of the barn. And something trailed behind it. I could not make out what. It crawled up the wooden wall and began to move out along one of the rafters. A numb terror settled down all over me as I watched it. The thing trailing behind it was apparently a rope. And the whispering began again, just then. 
but the only words I could catch seemed without meaning. It was almost like another language. The voices were above me, under the roof. And suddenly I saw signs of active movement going on just beyond the place where the thing lay upon the rafter. There was something else up there with it. Then, panting followed, like the quick breathing that accompanies effort. And the next minute, a black mass dropped through the air and dangled at the end of the rope. Instantly, it all flashed upon me. I sprang to my feet and rushed headlong across the floor of the barn. How I moved so quickly in the darkness, I do not know. But even as I ran, it flashed into my mind that I should never get at my knife in time to cut the thing down, or else that I should find it had been taken from me. Well, somehow or other, the goddess of dreams knows how. I climbed up by the hay bales, and I swung out along the rafter. I was hanging, of course, by my arms, and the knife was already between my teeth, though I had no recollection of how it got there. And it was open. The mass, hanging like a side of bacon, was only a few feet in front of me. I could plainly see the dark line of rope that fastened it to the beam. I then noticed for the first time that it was swinging and turning in the air, and that as I approached, it seemed to move along the beam so that the same distance was always maintained between us. The only thing I could do, for there was no time to hesitate, was to jump at it through the air and slash at the rope as I dropped. I seized the knife with my right hand, gave a great swing of my body with my legs, and leaped forward at it through the air. Horrors! It was closer to me than I knew, and I plunged full into it, and the arm, my arm, with the knife, missed the rope and cut deeply into some substance that was soft and yielding. But as I dropped past it, the thing had time to turn half its width so that it swung round and faced me. And I could have sworn as I rushed past it through the air that it had the features of Shorthouse. The shock of this brought the vile nightmare to an abrupt end and I woke up a second time on the soft hay bed to find that the gray dawn was stealing in and that I was exceedingly cold. After all, I had failed to keep awake and my sleep, since it was growing light, must have lasted, well, at least an hour, a whole hour off my guard. There was no sound from Shorthouse, to whom, of course, my first thoughts turned. Probably his flow of words had ceased long ago, and he, too, had yielded to the persuasions of the seductive god. 
I turned to wake him and get the comfort of companionship for the horror of my dream, when, to my utter dismay, I saw that the place where he had been was vacant. He was no longer beside me. It had been no little shock before to discover that the ally in whom lay all my faith and dependence was really frightened, but it is quite impossible to describe the sensations I experienced when I realized he had gone altogether and that I was alone in the barn. For a minute or two, my head swam and I felt a prey to a helpless terror. The dream, too, still seemed half real, so vivid had it been. I was thoroughly frightened, hot and cold by turns, and I clutched the hay at my side in handfuls, and for some moments I, I had no idea in the world what I should do. This time, at least, I was unmistakably awake, and I made a great effort to collect myself and face the meaning of the disappearance of my companion. In this, I succeeded so far that I decided upon a thorough search of the barn, inside and outside. It was a dreadful undertaking, and I did not feel at all sure of being able to bring it to a conclusion, but I knew pretty well that unless something was done at once, I should simply collapse. When I tried to move, I found that the cold and fear, and I not know... I know not what else unholy besides combined to make it almost impossible. I suddenly realized that a tour of inspection during the whole of which my back would be open to attack was not to be thought of. My will was not to equal it. Anything might spring upon me at any moment from the dark corners and the growing light was just enough to reveal every movement I made to any who might be watching. For even then, and while I was still half-dazed and stupid, I knew perfectly well that someone was watching me all the time with the utmost intentness. I had not merely awakened, I had been awakened. I decided to try another plan. I called to him. My voice had a thin, weak sound, far away and quite unreal, and there was no answer to it. Hark, though, there was something that might have been a very faint voice near me. I called again, this time with greater distinctness. Shorthouse, where are you? Can you hear me? There certainly was a sound, but it was not a voice. Something was moving. It was someone shuffling along, and it seemed to be outside the barn. I was afraid to call again. 
and the sound continued. It was an ordinary sound, no doubt, but it came to me just then as something unusual and unpleasant. Ordinary sounds remain ordinary, only so long as one is not listening to them. Under the influence of intense listening, they become unusual, portentous, and therefore extraordinary. So this common sound came to me as something uncommon, disagreeable. It conveyed, too, an impression of stealth, and with it, there was another, a slighter sound. Just at this minute, the wind bore faintly over the field, the sound of the stable clock a mile away. It was three o'clock, the hour when life's pulses beat lowest, when poor souls lying between life and death find it hardest to resist. Vividly, I remember this thought crashing through my brain with a sound of thunder, and I realized that the strain on my nerves was nearing the limit, and that something would have to be done at once if I was to reclaim my self-control at all. When thinking over afterwards the events of this dreadful night, it has always seemed strange to me that my second nightmare, so vivid in its terror and its nearness, should have furnished me with no inkling of what was really going on all this while, and that I should not have been able to put two and two together or have discovered sooner than I did what this sound was and where it came from. I can well believe that the vile scheming which lay behind the whole experience, found it an easy trifle to direct my hearing amiss, though of course it may equally well have been due to the confused condition of my mind at the time and to the general nervous tension under which I was undoubtedly suffering. But whatever the cause for my stupidity at first in failing to trace the sound to its proper source, I can only say here that it was with a shock of unexampled horror that my eye suddenly glanced upwards and caught the sight of the figure moving in the shadows above my head among the rafters. Up to this moment, I had thought that it was somebody outside the barn, crawling round the walls till it came to a door. And the rush of horror that froze my heart when I looked up and saw that it was Shorthouse, creeping stealthily along a beam, is something altogether beyond the power of words to describe. He was staring intently down upon me. And I knew at once that it was he who had been watching me. This point was, I think, for me, the climax of feeling in the whole experience. 
I was incapable of any further sensation. That is, any further sensation in the same direction. But here the abominable character of the affair showed itself most plainly, for it suddenly presented an entirely new aspect to me. The light fell on the picture from a new angle and galvanized me into a fresh ability to feel when I thought a merciful numbness had supervened. It may not sound a great deal in the printed letter, but it came to me almost as if it had been an extension of consciousness for the hand that held the pencil suddenly touched in with ghastly effect of contrast the element of the ludicrous. Nothing could have been worse just then. Shorthouse, the masterful spirit so intrepid in the affairs of ordinary life, whose power increased rather than sharpened in the face of danger, this man, creeping on his hands and knees along a rafter in a barn at three o'clock in the morning, watching me all the time as a cat watches a mouse. Yes, it was distinctly ludicrous. And while it gave me a measure with which to gauge the dread emotion that caused his aberration, it stirred somewhere deep in my interior the strings of an empty laughter. One of those moments then came to me that are said to come sometimes under the stress of great emotion when in an instant the mind grows dazzlingly clear. An abnormal lucidity took the place of my confusion of thought and I suddenly understood that the two dreams which I had taken for nightmares must really have been sent me and that I had been allowed for one moment to look over the edge of what was to come. The good was helping even when the evil was most determined to destroy. I saw it all clearly now, Shorthouse, had overrated his strength. The terror inspired by his first visit to the barn, when he had failed, had roused the man's whole nature to win, and he had brought me to divert the deadly stream of evil. That he had again underrated the power against him was apparent as soon as he entered the barn, and his wild talk and refusal to admit what he felt were due to this desire not to acknowledge the insidious fear that was growing in his heart. But at length, it had become too strong. He had left my side in my sleep, had been overcome himself, perhaps first in his sleep, by the dreadful impulse. He knew that I should interfere, and with every movement he made, he watched me steadily for the mania was upon him, and he was determined to hang himself. He pretended not to hear me calling, and I knew 
that anything coming between him and his purpose would meet the full force of his fury, the fury of a maniac, of one, for the time being, truly possessed. For a minute or two, I sat there and stared. I saw then for the first time that there was a bit of rope trailing after him and that this was what made the rustling sound I had noticed. Shorthouse, too, had come to a stop. His body lay along the rafter like a crouching animal. He was looking hard at me. That whitish patch was his face. I can lay claim to no courage in the matter, for I must confess that in one sense I was frightened almost beyond control. But at the same time, the necessity for decided action, if I was to save his life, came to me with an intense relief. No matter what animated him for the moment, Shorthouse was only a man. It was flesh and blood I had to contend with, and not the intangible powers. Only a few hours before I had seen him cleaning his gun, smoking his pipe, knocking the billiard balls about with very human clumsiness, and the picture flashed across my mind with the most wholesome effect. Then I dashed across the floor of the barn and leaped upon the hay bales as a preliminary to climbing up the sides to the first rafter. It was far more difficult than in my dream. Twice I slipped back into the hay, and as I scrambled up for the third time, I saw that Shorthouse, who thus far had made no movement, no sound, was now busily doing something with his hands upon the beam. He was at its further end, and there must have been fully 15 feet between us. Yet I saw plainly what he was doing. He was fastening the rope to the rafter, and the other end, I saw, was already round his neck. This gave me at once the necessary strength, and in a second I had swung myself onto a beam, crying aloud with all the authority I could put into my voice, You fool, man! What in the world are you trying to do? Come down at once! My energetic actions and words combined had an effect, an immediate effect upon him, for which I blessed heaven. For he looked up from his horrid task, stared hard at me for a second or two, and then came wriggling along like a great cat to intercept me. He came by a series of leaps and bounds and at an astonishing pace, and the way he moved somehow inspired me with a fresh horror, for it did not seem the natural movement of a human being at all but more, as I have said, like that of some lithe, wild animal. He was close upon me. I had no clear idea of what exactly I meant to do. I could see his face plainly now, and he was grinning cruelly. The eyes were positively luminous, and the menacing expression on the mouth was most distressing to look upon. Otherwise, it was the face of a chalk man, white and dead, with all the semblance of the living human drawn out of it. Now, between his teeth, he held my clasp knife, 
which he must have taken from me in my sleep, and with a flash I recalled his anxiety to know exactly which pocket it was in. Drop that knife, I shouted at him, and drop after it yourself. Don't you dare to stop me, he hissed, the breath coming between his lips across the knife that he held in his teeth. Nothing in the world can stop me now. I have promised, and I must do it. I can't hold out any longer. Then drop the knife, and I'll help you, I shouted back in his face. I promise. No use, he cried, and then laughed a little. I must do it, and you can't stop me. I heard a sound of laughter. Too, somewhere in the air behind me. The next second, Shorthouse came at me with a single bound. To this day, I cannot quite tell how it happened. It is still a wild confusion and a fever of horror in my mind. But from somewhere, I drew more than my usual allowance of strength. And before he could well have realized what I meant to do, I had his throat between my fingers. He opened his teeth and the knife dropped at once, for I gave him a squeeze he need never forget. Before, my muscles had felt like so much soaked paper. Now, they recovered their natural strength and more besides. I managed to work ourselves along the rafter until the hay was beneath us. And then, completely exhausted, I let go my hold and we swung round together and dropped onto the hay. He, clawing at me in the air even as we fell, Ah, the struggle that began by my fighting for his life ended in a wild effort to save my own, for Shorthouse was quite beside himself and had no idea what he was doing. Indeed, he has always averred that he remembers nothing of the entire night's experiences after the time when he first woke me from sleep. A sort of deadly mist settled over him, he declares, and he lost all sense of his own identity. The rest was a blank until he came to his senses under a mass of hay with me on top of him. It was the hay that saved us, first by breaking the fall and then by impeding his movements so that I was able to prevent his choking me to death. Good night.